Welcome to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Uh, we've got a pretty good show, I think, ahead of us today. I say pretty good show, like I'm not even sure about it. Um, we've got two things I'm excited about. Uh, the Startup Showcase portion, which is going to be on the back half of the show, per the usual, uh, is Quantum RE. And uh, I actually am really excited. You know, Sometimes I let the, the companies just sort of pitch, and I don't do any recon on it because I don't want to know what it's about because I want to have like a natural read on it. This one, I couldn't help it. Uh, mostly because I couldn't figure out what the company was by the name, so I went and looked at it, Quantum RE. Uh, I think all of you listening are going to get a kick out of this, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you to, to gear up and get ready to call in if you want to to ask questions. Uh, the number for this is 312-981-7200. Here's the idea, uh, and we, I won't spook the whole thing, but just want to get you excited. Um, you can actually take cash for equity in your home without debt. I'll leave it at that. Uh, I should have given this to David Hochberg. I feel like he would have blown his mind on this one. Um, and then what else we're going to do today on the show is talk to our good friend, writer John McDermott, um, and catch up a little bit on, I think, a pretty ridiculous topic. I would love to also know what you guys think about it. You can tweet at me, at Katoon, or at McDermott on this uh, conversation or call in, of course. I'll say it again, 312-981-7200. Call us up. What do you think about Twitter and other social media mediums fact-checking you? How far does it go? What does it mean? I think you're going to be surprised at my take on this. I'm going to ask our friend Sam in the in the booth here real quick. Sambo, are you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Fact checking. I love the hair. I don't know what you're talking about, but explain to me. Are you enlighten me? Enlighten me. Are you serious? You don't know what this is? Like you're not? You don't know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm dealing with a lot of a bunch of side stuff on the other side, so I haven't been really up to news. I know the SpaceX launches today, so I'm looking forward to that. The side stuff that's on the side, as opposed to what at the top. <laughs> Yeah, okay, no, so, I'm a side guy. So, so Trumpy Dumpty um, got mad at Twitter because Twitter put a fact check piece on him uh, on his tweet. So it basically said like you have to you know click on these things to verify whether what he's saying is true. And not even getting into the Trump thing, like I could I I do care a lot about that, but I'm going to spare myself uh, the the frustration. He essentially. Um, pushed back on Twitter or on Twitter's move there and and essentially signed a bill that would say all of these social media organizations were going to have to rein it in and have actual not censorship and there's a big difference which we'll get into but fact checking you can't spread news that is knowingly not accurate and that whole thing sort of changes <clears throat> the way that we look at social media and who can be quote unquote a reporter and the impact is insanely uh, complex, but also insanely impactful on the world. And so basically what happens here is, and, and I don't think it'll, it might apply to you because you are in media, Sam, but to the regular Joe and Jane, I'm not sure yet how it will apply. But essentially you will go out there and say uh, something impactful about, um, you know, I don't know, you're breaking news. So let's say there's, there's a bunch of people who are protesting and you want to break news. If you were to just outright lie, they could take down your tweet. Or take down your post. So does it just take it down or will it say liar or something? Like how would they prove it's lying? It just takes it down or? Yeah, so that's, well, we'll get into that. But I, there's there's a hope. So like essentially what you're saying has to be provable. So like Absolutely. if you were to like just push out like, you know, I don't know, something completely asinine that's going on, they would be able to tell that like what you're, what you're sharing is not accurate at all and potentially harmful to the people who are reading this tweet. And so they would mark it. 
at minimum they'd mark it as like not factually, you know, provable or, or confirmed. At maximum, they might pull it down altogether. Well, I'm sorry, right? I got ten fingers. Well, I, maybe you don't have ten fingers. I don't. I got eight fingers and two thumbs. <laughs> See, would you fact check that? And with that, we're going to take a break. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. that's a great. That's a great. Line. No, okay. So we're going to get into this. We will uh, take a quick break here, pay some bills, and then come back with John McDermott. Um, and we're working on a piece together on this exact topic. So I'm I'm excited to dig into it. Like I said, it's a complicated piece to unravel. So uh, feel free to call in uh, 312-981-7200 or tweet away at Katoon. We'll be back right after this. We are on the show with my good friend, John McDermott. John, are you using a MyPillow? No, I am not using a MyPillow. I can't say I'm a loyal customer at this moment. You need to. I'm. A, but I'm, after that live read, I mean, I, you know, sold. I would. I feel like you should. I, I actually was going to give him a whirl because I was doing Tempur-Pedic um, and I got like a Tempur-Pedic mattress, and I, I don't know, it's not not working so good. And then um, I tried um, what's the uh, the the one that's super cool and hot in uh, in the tech sector just went public. Um, oh my god, there are so many different mattress startups. I mean, who can even keep track? It's but the Casper was Casper, a hot one. That's what it was. I did yeah. a Casper. I was underwhelmed with that one, so I'm going to go ahead and say that my pill is probably better than Casper because uh, okay. Casper gave me a big time neck ache. But that's just me. I'm crazy like that. Akita, one of my friends has a Kitsa mattress, and it's legitimately the comfiest thing I've ever placed my body on. It's amazing. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind. Well, thank you for that. Uh, that's why we had you call in, so now we're just going to hang up on you because now we, yeah, we just want to exactly. get uh, I, I called on mattress talk. This is great, dude. Hey, we're having <laughs> pillow talk. This, our relationship just moved up like seven notches. Of all the things to discuss in the world. <laughs> on radio. <laughs> Legit pillow talk. Okay, so I, I actually had you call in because uh, we have been talking offline about this whole uh, call it fake news, call it uh, fact-checking, whatever. Um, and obviously, I think you have a, a very unique insight into this, not just because of you know you being a social media darling, but also um, because you write news, you do stories, and it matters a great deal uh, that when you write stories that there's fact-checking done on the editorial side, and I think we've both kind of come to this point with, with uh, not just social media, but just media in general, uh, people who decide to just become news people or so they, they think they are news people by saying things on Twitter. Why don't we go and unpack this a little bit? What, do you, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Where are you at on this whole um, fact-checking on social? So just for context for the listeners, this was all kicked off when Twitter decided to add some caveats to the bottom of a couple of Trump tweets about, I, I think they were about election fraud, specifically. Yeah, I, I shared that on, on the front end of the show. I gave kind of the, the general yeah. background. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, get, you can feel free to dig into like what this actually means. Okay, but this has been a controversy that has existed literally for years. When I was working as a staff writer at Digiday six years ago, I was writing about this very topic. It has only kind of become mainstream national news lately because because of Trump, because of how polarizing he is, and just because of how he dominates the news cycle. But for years, we have let these social media properties have it both ways, which is that they market themselves as news services, and they get a lot of their engagement from users by serving up news content, but they're never held accountable in the way that a news service is. And... 
I personally have a problem with that. So it puts me in a weird position where, uh, you know, I'm kind of, you know, it spans the political divide and kind of puts you, lumps people in together with people who make for strange bedfellows politically. But I actually welcome what Twitter is doing in terms of fact-checking provided that they operate transparently. And that is a, an enormous caveat and something they've not been willing to do. Yes. And on this topic, I think, you know, we, we've talked about this, that I, I really have a, a problem with the fact that I think consumers don't view social media with the, the enormous impact and significance that it actually holds. I feel like yes. it's sort of like, eh, it's Facebook, like it's a joke. And it's like, it's not. They're like, no. you know, if we we're, what we talked about before about this is like Facebook and Twitter in the early stages when I was just using it to basically stalk classmates at college mm-hmm. and to like scroll jokes and memes and take pictures of myself eating silly food. I don't care whether that's true or not or whether you lied about what, who made the food like that. That's inconsequential. The minute you become a self-proclaimed source of news, when you have a news icon or button on your app or you are trending and you're trending breaking news and that's part like a major part of your app you now are different you're not just a joke store at that point yeah. and i and then the part that i think the consumers and i this is the part that blows me away why people are not more like just flabbergasted or blown up over this is beyond me because these people the social media people who run these companies literally knowingly are making a fortune feeding you ads by keeping your eyes glued to their app by feeding garbage news one direction or the other and having you stick in content and joust back and forth with your idiot neighbor that is like that's mm-hmm. their that's part of their business model totally and, and to you bring up a good point yeah and you bring up a good point it's not like they stumbled into this they made a conscious decision, a conscious business decision to get into the news business, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. But if you are going to do that, you need to be transparent and you need to be held accountable about the editorial decisions that you make. So now people are all up in arms because they're fact-checking tweets. Like one of the Winkleboss twins, you know, was tweeting about this. Some of the most idiotic tweets. Yeah. Some of the most idiotic public statements I've seen in, in quite some time, which is saying a lot. But he was saying just like, how dare they conduct some type of editorial oversight? What I have been arguing is that these companies have always been making editorial decisions. Twitter yes. always makes, has been doing it for years. Who they decide to verify, that's an editorial decision. You know, how their algorithm surfaces certain news posts versus other ones, that's an editorial decision. What we have let them get away with for far, far, far too long is that they hide behind the fact they're like, well, we don't have people doing it. We have our technology doing it. We're a tech What company. I say is, yeah, but what I say is it doesn't really make a difference. You know, be transparent about how your technology works and what it does and does not value. And also that's kind of, you know, there was a person who created that technology. So there's obviously some human inputs that go into there. So, yeah, the, the idea that they're not media companies is a total farce. So we, we can go on for hours about, like, just railing on them. What is the, what is the perfect outcome? Not, there is no perfect outcome, but what is, what is the preferred outcome? And I'm not referring to how do they solve the problem. I'm referring to what, what should this experience be like at its, 
or at least what do you think would be a good experience for this? Okay, so you and I, we're media producers, right? And when we create something, um, we receive credit for it or we receive criticism for it, but it's our names on it. I mean, there's somebody behind it. And if we mess up, we have to answer for it. But if we want to defend something, we can do something too. What Facebook and Twitter and on down the line need to do, and, you know, I'm biased as a journalist, hire a team of fact checkers, be transparent about the decisions they make and what they decide to censor or not censor or what they decide to feature or not feature and have somebody who's humanly accountable. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. It's going to be controversial all the time, but at least there's somebody there. There's a face that can defend it. I mean, no other media operation gets to hide behind, you know, the, the mask of technology, you know, everyone else has to answer for their work and they should have to as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the here's the other challenge, and this is legit. I can understand their 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 problem, and of course, you know, they can develop technology that does all this, but they can't develop technology that undoes it, which is a total BS yeah. story. Um, exactly. Yeah. The, and as a person who invests in tech and looks at tech all day, I, I can verify that this is true. Uh, if you can build it, you can break it down, and they're just saying that they can't. Mm-hmm. That's just an outright lie. Um, what I well because do, it gives them plausible deniability. Well, that's the only reason they yeah, yeah. refer to that. Yeah, and that's also because we're addicted to their product, and we don't want like whether it's conscious or subconscious. In some cases, it's conscious, and some cases, subconscious. We don't want it to change. I mean, again, I'm trying to avoid the political piece of this because I, I just really am just done with politics. But when Donald Trump signed that order, he actually did a good thing in reality. Yeah. Uh, but what he did was he knew that there's no way in any world that Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and anyone else, for that matter, is going to let that happen. Like, that, we already know that that's not going to happen. Um, and he knew that. Well, I, I, when you say not going to happen, what, what do you mean specifically? Well, I think he's, he's basically calling them to, to come to the table and say, uh, we're going to negotiate some sort of term that enable because basically what he signed would eliminate a Donald Trump himself. Like, it would eliminate his ability to use the Twitter pulpit, and he doesn't want that. So what he did is he mm-hmm. said, basically, fine, I will take away what makes you guys make so much money, and you will have to be accountable. Right. And you know that they're not going to want to do that, so they'll have to come to the table, they'll lobby, a ton of money will go down the drain, and eventually there will be a split in the middle where sort of weak legislation meets weak, uh, you know, I hate using the word censorship, but like weak editorial. It'll just be yeah. average, run-of-the-mill, yeah. punt, make money, and keep tweeting. And all of this is to say, the reason I care about this is that there is one. There is the fact that we need more um, truth in our lives. We need more yes. factual information. Um, but we also need to be able to like cite and defend where we're coming up with stuff. Because, and this isn't political. And people listening right now, you're probably thinking like this is a soap. Totally, it's, it's not. But, but it should it should appeal to everyone across the political spectrum. Everybody, conservative, liberal, and anywhere in between, should be concerned with the role that Facebook and Twitter play in shaping our public discourse. These are the largest media companies in the history of the world. Their influence is utterly unprecedented, and yet we let them operate with close to zero transparency. It's insane. Yes, and and like uh, kind of the point that I was getting with this is like it, it literally does not matter to me what side of the aisle you fall on. What I know yeah. is the 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 pace of information is traveling at epic speed. It's literally yeah. the fast, and it's only getting faster. And that means that not everyone, in fact, most people, 
can't keep up. They can't do their own fact checking. They can't even tell the difference between a real post and a fake post. And so mm-hmm. at a certain point, we have to have pieces in place that basically say like, hey, you know, you, you shared this. This is not. This is apolitical. I'm telling you that the story that you're posting is coming from a source that is known to do this kind of stuff. It's not. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying it's not real, but it's probably not real. And just tagging it and like letting you become aware. That's one part of this. The other part of this is like, whose posts matter? Everyone's just famous people, just influential yeah. people, political people. Is it is it stock market news that's no good? Is it just uh, stuff that can incite violence that's no good? Is it if I lie about sports? Is that also you know a lie? Like where's the line? And that's my only concern that we need to really be careful about is like letting it start with like you know maybe it's just verified accounts to start with like yeah. verified accounts have the the most followers they are viewed as more influential and therefore should be held to a higher standard i sure but then inevitably you enter a conversation about who gets verified and who doesn't uh you know twitter has not been transparent about that process no. about what it factors factors into that decision how did i get verified and, yeah <laughs> yeah, and I'm not verified. You're I, more I mean, legit than I, me. <laughs> I I don't know about that, but thank you. But I mean, I for a while resisted requesting verification because of, I don't know, it seemed kind of a seemed kind of like a try hard move, a little shameless. But then after a while, I was like, the the week I decided to request for verification, a bunch of alt right figures had their verification revoked, and it kicked off an entire controversy about who gets verified and who doesn't. And then Twitter discontinued their Twitter, uh, their verification request program. And it's been a total black box ever since then. No one knows how it works. No one knows what goes into the decision-making. So once again, they're already making editorial decisions and they should be treated accordingly. Well, as one of the chosen ones, I was told, yeah, because they send you a gift bag. And when you get it, you open it up, it's got the blue check mark, and it just says, you're one of the cool ones. And I was like, what? Me? What? Damn. Yeah, What's in so, the gift bag? Oh, dude, I can't tell you. I can't. That's totally like a, like a, off. a live bird kind of flies out. Uh, and a, a couple butterflies, a few, a few yeah. butterflies. And then, honestly, it's all of uh, the – you get a list of all of the posts that have been taken down because they weren't factual. So I know. Yeah. I know the truth about everybody. Wait. That's what we got. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of drive this home, with everything that is going on currently in this country, with all the protests, all of that activity taking place on Twitter. And I think people deserve to know why certain posts are being elevated above others and how that is shaping the public discourse. Like all of the Black Lives Matters protests have surfaced through Twitter, which is great. I mean, it's a great organizing tool in that respect. But if they were to make an editorial decision to suppress posts like that, uh, currently right now, we would have no way of knowing. And I find that bothersome. And that is the literally the gazillion, the billion plus dollar question. And I think that as users, you know, I I guess, and listen, I'm going to say this as a person who's both done and doing media and tech. Um, we really have to stop looking at tech and and other things like that as magic. I feel like a yeah, lot of totally. people look at social media and tech as it's magic, and they don't want to challenge their brain to figure out how might you profit from this magic. What? How does mm-hmm. it work? 
we got to start answering these questions because this is like kind of how we get by now. Like I, I definitely use Twitter to surface topics that I'm interested in. And I, and I, you know, I go back and read stuff in different, different places later, but like generally speaking, if you ask me midday, like what I know, it came from Twitter probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which means it could be wrong. But I, but I also think, you know, to your point, like when I first got on Twitter, it was just to make lame jokes and kind of keep up on sports news. Not nearly as important as Black Lives Matter protesting. So it's taken on this new life. Maybe Twitter never intended to, you know, the original the original intent was not to be a news network. But that's where it is now. you got to grapple with the reality. So totally if you're going to make fact-checking decisions, fine. Just be held accountable. I, I, it, it's wild to me that it seems like such a large ask well, that we hold these uh, companies accountable. I, I, I agree with you, obviously. And ending on this, you know, I, I think the, the part that is just not – this is the part that we can't really get past, and I don't know how to get past it, and I don't know how they get past it without, like, the law stepping in somewhere. <clears throat> the reality is it is just like iPhones. The sticky factor is what keeps you in, and the longer you're in – the more money they make. iPhones give you all these funny apps, these fun things to play on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it keeps you in the phone. You want to buy another phone. You want to upgrade to get more of the fun little apps. And on, on Facebook and, and on Twitter, it's about keeping your eyes glued to the page. And at the end of the day, you know, I read a lot of things that I'm sure are true. And I read a lot of things that I think are absolutely asinine. And I spend way more time on the asinine ones than the true ones. And that's just, that's just the way it is. And I'm an you know educated yeah. person, but I it's entertaining. I think my friends that post conspiracy garbage are hilarious. I, I think they're sad, but they're hilarious. It's and guess what? State. Twitter and Facebook know that, and they don't want to relinquish that revenue. Correct. So yeah, and you you know the capitalists can argue, and me would argue that they shouldn't have to, but they have to figure out a way to to make it a safe place. There's a lot of industries out there, many of which get to run amok, but there's a lot of industries that make a lot of money. And in a in that are potentially dangerous, and you know it's not like tobacco, like even tobacco, like you ended up having to put a you could get cancer on this thing on the front of the wrapper. Yeah, like you should then Facebook when you sign in where it used to say the mass did you say Mark Zuckerberg and the rest, it should say like hey you can get brain, uh, your brain can rot from re- from playing on this. <laughs> yeah, and I think all we're saying is they can't have it both ways. I they can't both be making editorial decisions and then kind of abdicate the responsibility that comes along with that. Totally agree. John, thank you for taking the time to come on. People can follow all of your fact check tweets at McDermott. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, we will catch up with you probably next week or I don't know. Keep Let's let's keep the dialogue going because I think it's really interesting. Oh yeah, this isn't going away anytime soon. All right, my friend. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. We're going to take a commercial break. We're going to come back with Quantum uh, Quantum RE and see, uh, I told you, this is going to be a good pitch, so get your phones ready. Dial it in. We'll be back. Uh, dos cervezas, por favor. I will do that anytime. Uh, we are uh, enjoying a beautiful summer day here. We got Matt Sullivan from Quantum RE. Matt, are you there? Yes, Scott. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Very well indeed. How are you? Very good. That accent is fantastic, I have to tell you. <laughs> well, actually, I was, you know, I downloaded Babbel and, you know, <laughs> And instantly, I'm now speaking with a British accent. It's that's well played. We have a, a guy who works with us who's also uh, he's from London, and every time I get on the call, I, I told him I, I feel cleaner. 
Like I feel like I just took a shower. <laughs> Such a great accent. Okay. Um, hopefully it translates into people uh, putting putting money into your company here. So uh, I'm going to give you one minute <clears throat> to pitch exactly what Quantum RE is. And I'm going to say this one more time to everyone who's listening. You can go to republic.co slash quantm dash one and check this out. And then the number to call in after this pitch is 312-981-7200. I'm giving you all this uh, up front because I think that all of you listening are going to find this to be particularly interesting um, for all of you in your lives right now. So uh, fire away now, Matt. Give us the one-minute pitch on Quantum RE. Thank you. Well, we help homeowners pull cash from their home um, with no interest, no monthly payments, and no added debt. So what that means is, if you're a homeowner and you've built up equity, and you are either unwilling or unable to borrow money from a bank, we can help. And we do that with an instrument that enables you to get a cash lump sum, and there's no interest, there's no monthly payments, and there's no added debt. And you have up to 30 years to either sell your home or refinance the contract. Uh, The money that you get is tax deferred, and you can spend it on whatever you want. Sounds simple enough, but there's always a hook, right? So what's the deal? How does it work? It's The best way to describe what it does is to describe what it's not. So um, what it's not is a reverse mortgage. So what our company does is work with investors who are interested in taking part with you in the potential upside of your home. So in other words, our investors work with homeowners on a form of partnership so that if your house increases in value, they will share in some of that upside. But also, if it goes down in value, they also share in some of the potential loss as well. So it's a very different type of financial tool uh, to a reverse mortgage or a loan or a home equity line of credit. The way that it works is that our investors buy into some of the current value of your home, and they agree with you to take a share of the property's increase in value. So if your house were to go up in value, when you sell it, they make their money by taking a share of the upside rather than charging you interest. And because of that, we can be much more flexible when it comes to looking at your debt-to-income ratio or your credit score or whether you are a W-2 employee, whether you have any income at all. And that means that for people that have been turned down by a bank or people that don't want to borrow money, we're a great solution um, and we're able to provide much-needed cash to them that they can spend on whatever they want. I think this idea is absolutely brilliant. Um, I am... Not, I mean, obviously, what I love about this is not only that you're, you're doing this, but you're also equity crowdfunding, because in a way, this kind of reminds me of that. I, what I loved about equity crowdfunding uh, when it first came online was kind of twofold, that not every, you know, not every person who is, quote-unquote, wealthy is rich enough to invest a ton of money, a, you know, accredited-style yeah. investing. Uh, but they can afford to spend maybe 10000 or 20000 on something. Yeah. And that to me is like, you know, but they just never got the opportunity. So you have this, this tool that essentially facilitates that. But that's only one side of the coin. The founders who maybe are not plugged into a community of rich investors, 
but do have a community of fans and, and a passionate people who support them can essentially still get access to money for their business. What I love about yeah. this is that this literally, um, this is to me at least, this is literally the exact same thing. Uh, not the crowdfunding component of it, but the the ability for me as a homeowner to basically sell equity in my home to an investor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And that, but that's exactly right. So what you're doing is you're saying you're selling something that you own. And that's been the real problem up until now, because the only way you can unlock your equity is by borrowing money. So the only solution right now is to go deeper into debt. And you say, well, hang on, I own this equity. I've spent 15 or 20 years paying it down. I've been, you know, I've done what everyone said I would do. I've paid my mortgage every month. But now I want to get hold of that equity I've got to go back to the bank, but I don't want to do that. Or maybe my circumstances have changed and I don't have that income anymore. So so even though I've built up this wealth, it's sitting in this single concentrated illiquid asset that I can't get my hands on. So the investors that we work with understand that there is real value in someone's home. There's real potential, especially if those houses go up in value over a period of time. So it's a very different instrument. Um, And from the crowdfunding perspective, we want people to invest in our... We believe that what we're doing is really going to help people, but also if we can build an army of evangelists, as it were, who understand the value of this and may even want to use it for themselves. For us as a company, we have this army of people out there who are all talking about our product to their friends and their family. So that's really going to help us get even more traction. So you know, here's the thing for those who are listening to this and are curious maybe as to why or how this works. Um, there, the market right now, and if you're familiar with the term iBuyer, the market for people who are investing in buying homes, particularly single-family rentals, is through the roof. There are people at Gigantic, some of the largest PE firms in the entire world and, and hedge funds in the world, BlackRock, Blackstone. If you talk to them, they believe uh, that we're not that far off from a world where a large number, when I say large number, I mean potentially even the majority of single-family homes are actually not owned by the people who live in them and that they rent and that it is actually more economical for the right type of person to rent a home rather than to own a home, which is something that is said by a rich person who's going to try to own your home. And when I look at this and I look at the uh, the way that investing is shifted in the markets, I look at Robinhood and M1 Finance and, and TD Ameritrade and others that now offer fractional investing for those that maybe couldn't afford to buy one full share of Amazon, but could buy a you know fractional share of it. This is a, in my mind, a, a no-brainer uh, evolution of housing. Like there are going to be fractional I, ownerships all over the place. And I, I absolutely agree with you, and I think there's a there's a rationale for that. It's not something that's been forced. It is an evolution, um, and it does help because if money is tied up and there are willing buyers and willing investors, um, that's where technology comes along, and that's where. Um, developments such as crowdfunding enable those types of investments to be made. Um, But also, there are people that are forced into renting because they cannot get onto the property ladder. Um, Now, if you can imagine parents who have equity locked up in their home, who are now unable to unlock that without borrowing money, that can be used as a deposit. 
uh, or a down payment rather. So what we're doing is helping people possibly get onto the property ladder. So, you know, even though many people are forced to rent, if you can create cash from home equity, it solves all sorts of problems, not just solving short-term cash requirements, but, you know, it helps stimulate, um, you know, the economy in lots of other areas. Yeah, totally agree with you. So we're going to take a quick break, commercial break. And then if you don't mind, can you hang on the line? And then I want to have you come back and talk about the actual investment and kind of what you need to use it for and and sort of sell us on the pitch. Does that sound good? I'd be delighted. All right. We'll have you uh, hang on. And then uh, all of you listening right now, uh, feel free to uh, call in and tweet at Katoon. I'll answer as many questions. If you want to call in and ask Matthew questions, feel free. The number is 312-981-7200. We'll be back right after this. Matthew, still with us? I'm still with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Alrighty, folks. We are talking to the uh, founder of Quantum RE. Matthew, if you can give us a little bit of info on the actual raise. Uh, everyone knows how the, I, th- I think, if you don't, if, if people have questions, you can just tweet at us at Katoon or at Technori. But uh, I think everyone, for the most part, understands the concept of the crowd safe. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about what the actual terms are, what you're offering, uh, and what you're, tooken, you're trying to raise the money for? Um, thank you. Well, the company itself is um, up and running. We're um, generating revenues. And so if I can answer your questions in reverse order, uh, we're raising capital to grow the business. And most of the money that we raise, we will allocate to marketing. Now, uh, the job of our marketing team is to spread the word um, of our product, which is the ability to unlock equity without taking on debt. So it's a very powerful product. And what we want to be able to do is increase primarily our digital marketing spend. So that means uh, we want to increase our Facebook and online advertising activity to drive more people to us so that we can um, convert them and provide them with home equity agreements. And what that does is that generates immediate revenues for us because we make money because we charge the homeowners an origination fee. So once the contract is completed and the homeowner has received their lump sum, we take a a small percentage of that as the origination fee. And that's all agreed with the homeowners up front. So what that means is that any money that we spend on marketing has an immediate um, cash flow benefit once it converts. Now, the second part of our business is to make investing in home equity agreements available to everyone. And that's our second most important objective. First of all, we want to make homeowners give them the ability to unlock equity without borrowing money. The second thing is we want to make people, we want to give them the opportunity of investing in real estate without the headache of being a landlord. So the other part of the capital is to finalize and complete the work that we've already started on our exchange and to um, enable people to be able to buy into these home equity agreements through our platform. And the way that we're raising money is through the Republic crowdfunding platform using uh, an agreement called a SAFE, which stands for a simple agreement for future equity. And the critical word there is future equity. So what it means is that you don't get your equity today. What happens is you wait as a a holder of a a simple agreement for future equity. You wait and see what happens uh, in terms of our next fundraising. So if we raise 
a large amount of capital in our next round at a very high valuation, you're able to get your equity at a significant discount to that. And what it also does is it protects you as a potential shareholder. And let's say that we raise money, but it's at a lower um, uh, valuation, you get to buy in at the lower valuation as well. So it's a great instrument for crowdfunding and other investors because it protects you for uh, potential down rounds and it also allows you to get a very good discount if we raise money which i'm sure we will be able to do at a much higher valuation uh, a bit further along very cool Uh, i guess my my kind of final question i've got for you in this whole thing is ultimately uh how much you know, how many investors do you, I don't mean for the campaign, I mean just in general in your business. How, how many investors, how much money do you need to have behind you to be able to actually offer, you know, and, and do you offer this to every home? Like, does every homeowner qualify? Uh, are there certain homes that you guys don't want to invest in? Uh, you know, what, what is the challenge? What does that, that look like? That's the only thing, because I'm reading through the term sheet as you're going through this, and I'm looking at all of the, uh, you know, sort of the storylines that I've seen on this company, and I, and I see... Nothing but success. The only question I kind of have is, is how, what does the economy of scale have to look like? Well, I think and it's, you're absolutely right to ask that. But the most important thing is that this company is over two years old. And there's uh, about almost $2 million has gone into the company so far. So we are relatively evolved. Most of the hard work in actually getting us to this point has already been done. So, um, you know, if you look at this sort of J-curve concept, we really hope that we really expect to be on the uh, on the upside now. Um, we're a cash-flowing company. So as money is deployed into marketing, when we con- uh, complete a home equity agreement with a, a, a homeowner, we get paid cash. So we are immediately cash flowing. And that really helps grow the business because as more and more deals are done and as we become more successful each month, we earn more money. So we're not one of those companies where you can't predict where the money is actually going to come from. So to be able to scale our business, we need that lump of cash to light a fire under our online marketing strategy. That's going to have an immediate positive cash flow effect for us um, and in the in the larger scale we will be in a position then where we're much more valuable because we have much more uh, in terms of uh, revenues and uh, customer base and that's going to enable us to earn or to to raise money at a much higher valuation which will be to the benefit of the shareholders in, in the current round very cool well said uh, where do people go to invest where do people go to learn more about your company if you go to republic.co, um, and if you search for Quantum RE, that's Q-U-A-N-T-M-R-E, um, all of the information about the raise is there. Um, there's the um, story about the company. There's all of the information that I talked about. Uh, Republic do a fantastic job, and um, it's been marvelous working with them um, so far. We have nothing but wonderful things to say about them. So everything you need to know should be there. If you have any questions, um, there's a, a like a, an FAQ section where you can you can put your question in, and uh, we'll get back to you you know as soon as possible to answer that question. Awesome. Thank you, Matthew, very much. Appreciate you taking the time. Stop. Thank you. Yep. All right, folks. We're down to the final countdown of a minute. Um, if you are not already subscribing to the Technoid Newsletter, you should check that out. Uh, we, we're writing blog pieces. I write a blog piece every single week. It goes out on Tuesdays. Go to Technoid.com, and you should be able to subscribe right there. Um, the blog piece I'm working on right now, obviously, you heard about 
when I talked to John McDermott this, in the early part of the show is about this sort of fact-checking completely agree with uh, many of the people who've called in and people have already tweeted at us and tweeted at me saying you got to pick one you can't uh, do you can't check everything and you can't check nothing so uh, I think uh, totally agree with that I think I'm going to expound more on this topic in my blog and if you're not listening to Technory Podcast you're truly missing out Technory Podcast is like this show with tech founders uh, that are a little bit more uh, successful in the sense that they've had exits or whatever. And I can say uh, naughty words and I can go on for hour or minute. And I really don't even know. I hit play and then I just go until I don't go anymore. So uh, for that, you go to Spotify, follow Technori. And my last thing, it's probably not for you guys, but Technori playlist. We've got some awesome music on Spotify. So that's it. Boom. That's a wrap. Bogus claims are slowing unemployment payments. One of the scams the president of the Better Business Bureau tells us about at 718. We are open for business early. Bob Surratt, Radio Chicago, WGN.